0: Welcome to the Ziggler show. This is episode 445. And today I have a Zig clip for you. Zig spends 10 minutes talking about his initial foray into sales, really into the career force for the first time and how bad he was. Uh, Two years of just failure. Uh, Then he spends 10 minutes talking about what changed and you're definitely going to want to hear
1: this. It will speak to you. Take it now. You can have everything in life you want if you'll just help enough other people get what they want. Today's a brand new day, and it's yours.
0: Well, hey everyone! I'm your host of the Ziggler Show, Kevin Miller, and today I have a long clip of Zig for you. Again, he spends ten minutes talking about his dismal sales beginning, and folks, it's really important to take captive the reality of what uh, the story he tells of, w- of what he's talking about. And then, uh, following the clip, I'm really want to hit on the realities of what he went through and what a dramatic. Uh, lesson it is for us because it is so abnormal, I'm afraid, to what we tend to do in today's culture. And yet it's something that we can all embrace immediately. So two significant points. And Zig goes on then to tell a story of what radically changed his career trajectory that will just flat out inspire you. And that part of the story I had heard before, but I had never really heard him get in so much to how he started out, how he was not encouraged uh, that hey right you know right from the get go because you would think that oh I'm sure he was pretty good at sales to begin with pretty good at relating to people uh, he had to hone it but he just had a knack and, and from his story you'll find out that that is not the case and it really brings up the question of why did he continue in that so that's what we're going to dig into after we hear from him uh, before we dive in three quick notes uh, Ziggler Christmas gifts and stocking stuffers go to ziegler dot com slash Christmas. Why? Well, you can give a gift that not only keeps on giving, but changes lives for the better. And it's incredible savings on some of the packages. It may just be something you want to get for yourself. com slash Christmas. Uh, next thing, if you get value from these shows, please let us and others know, uh, if you would leave a review in iTunes or Stitcher or wherever, you get your podcast, It really helps people get a flavor of what the show is. They like to see recent reviews and it helps us know what you're appreciating. And please feel free to be specific. Uh, we've had some folks lately, really grateful that we have had Tom on the show more Tom Ziegler, Uh, so specifics like that, let us know. We'll keep more of whatever you're enjoying most coming. Uh, last you can go see show notes and forward shows to friends post on social media, uh, from our show website, which is Ziggler show.com or make it easy. zigshow.com. Uh, so that'll work for you too. All right, then. Well, Hey, let's go. Here is your guy, Mr. Zig Ziglar.
1: I got in the Navy, met that little redhead. And then a lot of things changed about my plans. 1946, I was going to the University of South Carolina. Uncle Sam had sent me up there as part of the training program. When they discharged me, I decided to go back up there. And in 1946, in November, we got married. I was selling sandwiches around the dormitories at night. To finance the marriage and to finance my education, I'd go in about nine o'clock at night. I conceived the idea, bought me a little grocery cart and I'd load up the milk and the sandwiches and the coffee cakes and uh, I'd go by and sell them. Did extremely well uh, during the regular school year. But when summertime came, the enrollment dropped to less than one-third of what it had been before. No air-conditioned dormitories. The guys and girls started going out at night to get their little snacks. And I had to look for something else to do financially. The redhead saw an ad in the paper where they wanted a $10,000 a year salesman. Well, we took that to mean providential influence that they wanted a $10,000 salesman. Because we wanted the $10,000. I mean, it just seemed like too much of a coincidence. I went down and applied for the job. It was in direct sales. Selling cookware on a person-to-person basis. On a commission, I had to buy my samples. But they did not believe I could sell. They turned me down. It took me two full months to convince them that they should at least give me a chance. They finally gave me a conditional chance. They said, we'll put you through the week of training, and if at the end of the training we think you can sell, then we will give you the contract. But they wouldn't even tell me what the commission was or anything else. They really did not think I could do it. At the end of the week, I guess they figured they had nothing to lose now, so they gave me the contract, and for the next two and a half years, all I did was prove they had been right to start with. Laughter Now, that doesn't mean I didn't sell a lot, because I did. I I sold my furniture, sold my car. (laughs) That's awfully close to the truth. I have had my lights turned out. I got there in time for them to turn them back on. I gave them a check. I've had my telephone disconnected again. Fortunately, I happened to be stopping by, and I had just enough money so they could reconnect that uh, telephone. Uh, I've gone down the grocery line, folks, and misfigured and have to put a loaf of bread back. And that's when bread was a dime of loaf. I bought my gasoline, 50 cents worth, at a time. I never will forget the day uh, that I had 50 cents in my pocket, and that old 40-model Studebaker I was driving quit running uh, now, uh, I didn't know why I figured it was, but I thought maybe it was the points. And the reason I say I don't know why I thought it was, because I had a mechanical bypass when I was very young. <laughs> and I, I, I don't understand anything mechanically. I stopped right in front of a mechanic's uh, little uh, shade tree shop, and I told him, I said, sir, my car quit running. Let me tell you before you even raise the hood, I've got 50 cents. That's all I've got to my name but I sure need my car running. If you would just look at it. Well, he looked at it. Sure enough, it was the points. He reset them, and I was off. I literally have done that. When my first daughter was born, the hospital bill was $64. I didn't have $64. I had to get out and make two sales before I could even get my own daughter out of the hospital. I'm here to tell you I know what it is to be broke. For two and a half years, this happened. Uh, One time, I was doing so miserably, I asked Bill Cranford, my sales manager, I said, Bill, go with me, find out what I'm doing, help me. Uh, I've got to make some sales. Well, he went with me on a call when it was over. I said, well, Bill, what do you think? He said, well, Zig, let me ask you, what are you selling? I said, Bill, you know what I'm selling. He said, yeah, I know, but don't you think you should have told that lady? I said, Bill, it wasn't that bad. He said, come on, let's go to the training. We went to the training room. He had one of those old WebCore wire recorders. How many of you have ever seen one of those suckers? All right. He recorded my talk. It was a 19-minute presentation. I owed 187 times I, uh, well, uh, uh, uh. You cannot believe. I mean, I counted it three times, ladies and gentlemen. And I emphasize that because as you probably recognize today, I'm the fastest drawl in the West. what I'm really saying is, you really can change. The other people were putting on group demonstrations where they bought the food, got a hostess to sponsor the demonstration, they'd bring in the food, give the hostess a premium, and sell to the prospects. I wanted to do that, but I had three basic problems. Number one, I didn't have the money to buy the groceries or the premium. Number two, I did not know the first thing about cooking. And number three, I had never seen a demonstration. But with the confidence that generally goes with ignorance, I figured I could do it. (laughs) I heard of a Mrs. B.C. Moore who lived at 2210 High Street on the corner of Colonial Drive. And I can see that home as clearly in my mind today as I could that day. White two-story frame house, no air conditioning, no insulation. And it's August. It is brutally hot. She had a set of our cookware, didn't like it because she didn't know how to use it. I said, Ms. Moore, I'll make a deal with you. I will teach you how to use that set of cookware if you will invite in two prospects and if you will buy the food for the demonstration. She said, it's a deal. She invited Mrs. M.P. Gates, who lived down the hill... Mr. and Mrs. Clarence Spence, who was her sister and brother-in-law, who were living with her while their home was being built, and they invited Dr. and Mrs. M.P. Gay. He was a dentist who had a set of the cookware. He didn't like it either because they didn't know how to use it. I put on the demonstration. Apparently, it was at least satisfactory. I didn't burn anything. When it was over, Mrs. Spence made a five-minute speech. She went into great detail about how tough times were. About how they were building a house, about how they were in debt, how they were struggling to make ends meet, etc, etc, etc. My heart got heavier and heavier as she was talking. But she said, "You know, I'm always in debt. We're always broke. If I don't go ahead and get this heavy and nice set of cookware right now, I never will be able to get it." She said, "I'll take it." Mrs. Gates took her cue from Mrs. Smith. She too made a five-minute speech. I don't know whether they were trying to impress me or their husbands or their hostess or whatever. She made the same speech but wound it up the same way and said, I'll take it. Now, folks, let me repaint the scene. Here I am so broke that if it didn't cost but 50 cents to go around the world, I couldn't have gotten out of sight. There are two ladies with their money in their hot little hands saying, I'll take it. What would you have done under those circumstances, anybody? Write them up. up. Guess what, Old Sig did? Scout's honor. I looked at my watch and I said, Ladies, I'd like the best in the world to sell you that set of cookware, but I can't. I've got another appointment and I'm running late now. I'm going to have to go and see them. With two ladies with their money in their hot little hands saying, I'll take it. I said, oh, no, you won't. i got something important to do. And out of there I scooted. Now, when I got to the other appointment, obviously they were not there. But here's my question. How many of you in your dumbest, greenest day, if you got sense enough to get out of a telephone booth without written directions on the side, how many of you would ever have done such a thing as that? Now, what I'm trying to say is, friend, there is hope. For you, <laughs> my whole world changed one day. Went to an all-day training session in Charlotte, North Carolina. Lived in Lancaster, South Carolina, which is about 38 miles south of there. Spent the day, didn't learn a thing. How many of you ever spent a day and learned absolutely nothing? Okay? That's about what happened to me. I got back home that evening. I had a demonstration. I conducted the demonstration, got in about 1130 that night. Our daughter kept us up most of the rest of the night. At 530 the next morning, the alarm clock. In those days, they were alarm clocks. Today, they're opportunity clocks. I mean, if you can hear one, that means you got a chance to get up and go. If you can't hear it, that might mean you done got up and gone. And depending on what you believe, that can be very bad. Well, anyhow, that alarm clock sounded off at 5.30 to get me up to go to the second day of the training school. Force of habit, I rolled out of bed. We were living in a little three-room apartment above a grocery store. I cracked the Venetian blind and looked out. And it said, "Ziegler, anybody with fat brains won't get out there amidst all of that ice and snow. Driving a little old Crosley automobile without a heater. Man, don't be ridiculous. I did what any intelligent person would do. I got back in bed. But as I lay there, the words of my mother came back to me. And again, here's that repetition that's so important. My mother preached me a thousand sentence sermons. When a task is once begun, you leave it not until it's done. And be a matter great or small, you do it well or not at all. She said, your word is your bond. And she said, if your word is not worth anything, then nothing about you or what you have is worth anything at all. When I had taken the job, I had agreed that I would be at every sales meeting and every training session. And though I had done nothing in the business in two and a half years, not only had I never missed a meeting, I had never even been late for one That early input in my mind rolled me out of bed. I went to the meeting. That's where my whole life changed. A man named P.C. Merrill was there. Mr. Merrill was my hero. He had set all of the records with that company. He had written all of the training programs with that company. And at the end of the session, I still don't remember what I learned in the session itself. But when it was over, he took me aside. He said, Zig, I want to talk to you privately. Now, many of you might have a little trouble identifying with this today because a lot of times people see me today and they cannot conceive of the way I was. I was thrilled to death that Mr. P.C. Merrill, my hero, was willing to spend a few minutes just with me. There were 21 other people there he could have talked to. He chose me. The conversation lasted probably less than two minutes. By design or by happenstance, I don't know which it was, he got me in a corner. And he said, Zig, I've been watching you for the last two and a half years and I have never seen such a waste. Now that'll get your attention. I said, Mr. Merrill, what do you mean? He said, Zig, I believe you could be a great one. I believe you could go all the way to the top. I believe you could become a national champion. I believe, Zig, that if you really recognized your own ability and went to work on a regular schedule, that someday you could be an executive in this company if you chose to do so. Now, please understand, he's talking to a little guy from a little town who was going to struggle all of his life. I never thought I'd live in the slums, but I, neither did I honestly think I'd ever have more than one suit of clothes. And here's a man saying, you could be an executive. You could be a national champion. You could be a great one. I said, Mr. Merrill, do you really believe that? He said, Zig, I know it. I'm here to tell you that the picture of myself changed dramatically. There's an old and true statement. A lot of people have gone a lot further than they thought they could because somebody else thought they could. Now, I want to emphasize two points. First of all, Mr. Merrill was a man of unquestioned integrity. I knew he was speaking truth. I knew that was the way he felt. Had I thought for one moment that he was just telling me that, so I'd go sell more cookware, so he would look good, then it would have had zero impact. But knowing him as I knew him and knowing his reputation, he said, you could be a great one. I believed him. Now, let me emphasize the second point. When he said, go to work on a schedule so enormously important. Let me emphasize that at that point, I knew how to get prospects. I knew how to make appointments. I knew how to conduct demonstrations and handle objections, and I knew the sales closes. The salesman was ready, but the man was not ready. Until you get the man ready, the salesman is not going to get ready. Until you get the person ready, the teacher is not going to be ready. You got to be before you can do. I had already been trained in the skills and techniques. And now the confidence that goes with a healthier self-image was my own. When I left that meeting that day, I'll tell you, I was floating on cloud nine. That little Crosley automobile, how many of you ever remember that little Crosley automobile? That little Crosley automobile without a heater, I mean, it never touched the ground on the way back. When I addressed the three couples who were there that evening, had they been even half smart, they would have opened the demonstration by saying, okay, Zig, we know you're going to be the national champion this year. Uh, Don't worry about a demonstration. Just give us something to eat, man, and we'll go ahead and buy. They never had a chance. Now, let me emphasize something very important. I had not learned anything about selling, but I learned a whole lot about me. And when my image changed, everything about me had changed. I finished that year the number two salesman in America out of over 7,000. I had the best promotion that company had to offer. The next year, I was the highest paid manager in the United States with them. Three years later, I became the youngest divisional supervisor in the 66-year history of that company. Today, ladies and gentlemen, I never make a talk. Whether I'm speaking here in Dallas, Texas, to you in this magnificent Myerson Symphony Hall, or whether I'm speaking to a dozen retired Baptist preachers a few years ago, or whether I'm speaking to 23,000 FFAers up in Kansas City, or whether I'm speaking to anybody anywhere, I always pray, Lord, make me a PC Merrill in the life. ...of the people who are there. I travel a lot. I get to meet a lot of people. I seldom get to know anyone. And I'm the loser as a result of it. I wish I could. I wish I could meet and come to know... ...every person who ever sits in my audience... Every person who picks up one of my books, every person who listens to one of my tapes, I wish that I could get to know that person on a personal basis. But of course, I know that is impossible. But if I could, and please let this substitute for what I would say to you. I would look you straight in the eye and I would say to you, you were born to win. There are 12 billion people that have walked the face of this earth there has never been another one like you. You're rare. You're different. You are special. You are unique. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. You were born to win. But in order to be that winner, you've got to plan to win. You've got to prepare to win. Then and only then can you legitimately expect to win. I don't know how many of you voted last November. I did. I hope all of you did. I think we all as citizens need to participate in every election locally and statewide and nationally. And if we don't participate there, we have no right to complain about anything that is going on. We have abdicated that right to gripe if we've not accepted the responsibility of doing something about it. But I'm going to ask you now to cast a vote of an entirely different nature. I'm going to ask you to vote... For you. Here's the process. Imagine, if you will, that you can step directly into the polling booth of your own mind. Imagine that you reach up and you pull the draperies because this is a very private affair. And as you make this particular vote, here you are in the voting uh, booth and there are a lot of levers there, but one of those levers has a name on it that is pure gold. It is bigger than any of the others. It has your name on it. You reach up and you grab that lever with your name on it. You pull it down, excited, motivated, enthusiastic, and you vote for you. And when you do, you'll discover that long ago, God had already voted for you. I'm here to tell you that that eternal arithmetic clearly says that you plus God equals enough.
0: So, Zig failing from start to two years in, why did he continue? I mean, he had no viable reason to. I want us to just dive into that a little bit right now. This episode of The Ziggler Show is brought to you by Braintree. If you run a business, I bet you remember the first dollar that you ever made. Now you want to grow to make your millionth or billionth. And have you found the right payments partner to grow with you? The payment process is a bigger deal than most anyone realizes. Once folks hit buy or purchase, you don't even have a 50% chance of them actually putting in their credit card and submitting payment. So the game has just begun. You must utilize absolute best business practices here if you want to finalize the sale and see money end up in your bank. Braintree lets you accept every way to pay from PayPal to Apple Pay and everything in between. All it takes is one integration and doesn't matter what currency your customers use because Braintree lets you accept over 130 of them. To learn more about how your company can grow with Braintree, visit BraintreePayments.com slash Ziggler. That's braintreepayments.com slash Ziggler. All right. So let's, let's discuss this a little bit. Zig starts off telling the story of selling sandwiches in the dorm to, to going after a cookware sales position and they wouldn't hire him. So here's a reputable sales company and he applied, they wouldn't hire him and he kept after after it. Why did he, why did he take their criticism really, uh, And uh, continue going. We don't really know right offhand. They said, we don't think you can sell. And he doesn't come back and say, well, I, I was convinced and I was sure that I could sell. He doesn't tell us that. And later on, he testifies. He spent two years not doing very well. Why did he think he could do this? Why did he continue? Again, we don't know. We didn't get, uh, I mean, he didn't get any support from a reputable sales company. I think most of us would take that and in, in realistic logic, go, well, gosh, they know sales. And if they don't see me as being viable, uh, I probably should not continue to apply this job. And should I even continue to pursue sales? Why wasn't Zig deterred by their opinion? Next, he didn't say he was passionate about cookware. Or that he had any personal interest in cooking. And again, later on, we we find out that he didn't. He didn't really know anything about it. So why is he going after selling this cookware instead of something else that maybe he cared more about, knew more about, uh, that would maybe give him a leg up on trying to sell it? Again, we don't know. He had zero reason, it seemed, other than he wanted the $10,000 a year. He needed it. So why did he so confidently or at least stubbornly, stubbornly go after it and not take no for an answer, which really seems like, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to hold him up here and say, we should all be exactly like him. A lot of what he did there is questionable, but I want to look at that. Uh, and, and I will offer a bit of a stab at it. In some of our past shows, you may have heard Zig cite, it's, it's come up multiple shows. I think it's been a while, but he cites that the biggest percentage of CEOs and top executives and big business owners and, you know, movers and shakers, whatever you want to term them as, they came from homes of poverty and or a sibling with a disability. And so what do we derive from that? Well, I asked Tom Ziegler in one of the shows once, and he really surmised that it's because those folks realized that life was not all about them and what they wanted. And I'd add that they also, to some degree, being in those harder circumstances that weren't just comfortable and easy, that they didn't have the luxury of letting obstacles just easily deter them. Obstacles like no, or you can't, or you're not good enough. And most of us listening to this show did not have it so hard. We didn't have some really, really hard story that we came from, or uh, there are folks that are listening that did, and they're struggling to have that reality be a strength in them instead of overcome them. And we talked about that in some recent shows as, as well, but I'm going to still, still say that the the majority did not have a really hard upbringing. Like some of these people that, that are talked about here, you know, things are pretty good. They're sustainable. Uh, There was a good level of comfort and security. Um, And we didn't need something so badly as some of these hard survival stories. So our personal drive is generally just not as committed. It's easier to respond to a have to than to do the hard thing when it just isn't dire. I mean, folks, that right there is such a reality to our lives, whether we are proactive or reactive. We come back to this so often on the Ziegler show that the root of personal development and progress is getting ourselves to do the hard work to attain something we want when we don't have to. And even worse, when we've got it pretty good in the world standards. So from my uh, six to seven years of leading people who desire to transition from traditional employment to self-employment It was often so difficult because it's not something they had to do. They had a job. And if they didn't have a job and needed money quickly, it was also not a good place to be for self-employment because that's not the time when you can establish a business really quick and go out there and make money generally. Uh, so it was a difficult place to be and, and even worse when somebody did have a pretty good job. I mean, when somebody had a job that they really didn't like, it really wasn't taking care of them or it was really hurting their emotions or yada, yada, they had more motive. But when they had a job that was pretty good, you know, it was pay pay was really good for what they did. They felt like, gosh, I got good pay. I got good benefits. I got flexibility, uh, and good vacations. You know, it's it's a good culture of people. And when they had the thought of, yeah, but do I want to do this for the rest of my career, for the rest of my life? Is this what I want to devote myself to? I don't feel any big purpose here. I, I just, I, I feel a fire in me or I want to have a fire in me. They were the hardest ones to get them to actually ever go forward with something because not only did they not have to, things were just pretty good. And two years would go by and three years and five years. And, and I know some of those people now, and they're still there. And if anything, the feeling of discomfort has just gotten worse because it's just grown. And some of them, you know, later on you hear that I've just become none. I just numb. I just gave into it. Nobody wants that story, but folks, I mean, this is, this is the crux of it for a lot of us. It would be better for some of us if we had had a hard circumstance to come from, if we had something that drove us to have to make that change. And, and this is the purpose of motivation right here. Something seeking to give ourselves a motive strong enough to do what's needed. And again, dire circumstances, man, there's no better motive than that. We respond to pain as humans more than desire, but desire is a valid option. And a lot of you are in a place right now where the pain is probably not going to get bad enough. You're going to have to grow your desire uh, enough and, and ramp up that desire enough to finally commit to it and not only to do what you need to do, but possibly jeopardize the comfy place you're in right now. Uh some friends of mine for years we've talked about, it. I think it was it was a group of guys that we would meet every week for a long time. I do now just a different group of, or a little bit different group of guys, different mix. Uh, but we often talk about this in relationships especially that when we're going along and eh, say the relationship maritally is, you know, it's at a five or, or a six, but gosh, what would you really like to have? Is that good enough? Or would you like to have an eight, a nine or a 10? Well, of course, everybody would say that. Okay. But we all know that when you dive into wanting to really get into something and fix it, you're generally going to go from, you know, let's say you're at that five or you're at that six, you're going to go to a two in order to build back up better and get to that eight or that nine and 10. Well, who's at a six or even a seven and wants to go down to a two? Nobody. <laughs> at least none of the guy friends that I have or myself really do we want to do that but we're going to have to get motivated. Something's going to have to convict us enough of the beauty and the power, the responsibility of getting into a nine or a 10 so that we will do that work. Well, another issue in Zig's story and ours is why do we so readily believe people? Why did he, why did Zig, as he goes to this, so he's selling you know, sandwiches on his own. Nobody confirmed that he was a great salesperson. He just did it because there was a need. And as soon as the need kind of went away, he had nothing. So he goes and applies for this job with a reputable sales company. What do they say? Ooh, I don't know. I mean, they, they're looking for somebody on commissions. They're not out a whole lot, you would think. And they say, no. Well, why didn't he believe them? It seems, I'm not just going to lift him up and say he was super, He was a superstar because uh, he didn't listen to that. There's some reality, gosh, if somebody in the nose tells, you no, you may need to rethink that For some reason he didn't though. Uh, he didn't, he didn't take that for granted. He didn't believe their perspective necessarily, or he just didn't care enough because he still just wanted the job. So would you have, if you were him, would you believe them? I mean, so when was the last time, as I was thinking about this, I'll ask you, when was the last time that you went after something? You knocked on a door, you shared an idea, and you were told in whatever manner, for whatever reason, no. And given good, solid, valid, caring, seemingly, reasons why. Now, the point is not just to dismiss anything negative anyone gives you. I mean, if I applied for an accounting job and they interviewed and tested me, they would be wise to say it's not a good fit for me. I mean, could I kill myself to learn and increase my math and accounting skills? Absolutely. Could I do enough to be competent? I'd have to say honestly, I think yes. And so, if it was the only job on the planet, it was the only way I could feed my family. Absolutely, I will do that. Uh, but I would hate—I would hate that. It is not a fit for me. Numbers are kind of like Greek. Uh, to actually, Greek would be better. I love words a lot more. I have a lot, lot better knack for that. But you get the point. Uh, so you know, there, there—it's not to just dismiss other people, but. I mean, folks, our epic stories, the books we read, the TV shows we watch, the movies we go see, the movies we buy and want to see again, the ones that move us, these epic stories are people who were generally told no by others or by circumstances. They absolutely can't. Not that they shouldn't or probably not. Generally, it's, it's a cataclysmic uh, absolute no, and they went forward and did it anyway, and it just puts our souls on fire. What about us? I mean, so what we need to do here is let's, let's look at a, another piece of this, digging deeper, seeking wisdom, our own and others and discerning the issue at hand. When we're told, no, what questions should we ask to discern if it's a, a reasonable, viable, best no, or if it's something that maybe we should at least question. Doesn't mean we just have to automatically go up, not accepting that, but let's, let's take it captive and think through it. We need wisdom for that. And I'm not going to, you know, so what, what is, when should we, what are the steps, the five steps to discerning whether a no should be a no or not? I'm not going to answer that because I'm not bright enough to do that. uh, The specifics, we had to have somebody on the show who's got that defined out because I'm sure it is definable somewhat, but I will say when, when there is something we need, desire, believe in, we should never readily take no and stop most great things. Uh, that we that we live in and, and benefit from were made possible by people who did not take the first or fifth, and in some cases, the 500th, no, and quit. I have some endeavors right now that uh, I, I will not take no for an answer because they need to happen. I feel called to them, and they're not all in my comfort zone. They're not all on my skill set, but I can find other people who can help with that, and I am not going to take no for an answer. But to that degree, is there anything of true worth that you would go after where you won't get multiple no's? And I rather think not. I just spent time, this is interesting. It is to me at least, getting new internet hookup at my home. Okay, that's not just an easy story. I live far out in the Rocky Mountains at about 9,200 feet above sea level in a little area surrounded by national forest. We have no cell service, no internet. Uh, My neighbors all use a satellite connection because it's the only option, okay? For my work, my kids' schooling, home entertainment, my wife's about to start her doctorate program. A lot of it's going to be online. Uh, I need more than satellite can offer. It has limits, uh, a lot of limits. So uh, years ago, I started brainstorming. Well, utilizing my one neighbor up on the ridge, uh, a lot of questions, a lot of late-night things. thinking, some uncommon technology through some of the knocking and asking, risking life and limb to trim some trees. My family benefits from high speed, unlimited internet. Now, the point of that is not that I'm smarter than my neighbors. I just wanted it. I needed it more. I really felt like there were some aspects of of work and school that we felt stuck with. I wanted an alternative more, and I did not readily, readily take no for an answer. I mean, if you're doing things of worth, you should be living amongst many achievements that are a result of taking no, of, of not taking no, excuse me, of not taking no for an answer. There should be a lot of the realities of your life that exist because you did not take that first or that fifth, that 500th no for an answer. But, you know, on that, let's take another reality and truth and put it on the table. The ultimate. Uh, why for not taking no for an answer because you shouldn't take it any more than you should take an immediate yes for an answer as well. I mean, when we're seeking to do something, uh, anything immediate, we need to stop and take and discern. There've been things that I've had to learn over the years. gosh, I'm interested in this. And when there was an easy open door, I I, I was, I was finally, I'm learning some to caution, even that. And I go, okay, wait a minute. That seems easy. Is this too good to be true? And sometimes it is because it's not really true. Um So, to take any feedback, we are called to take that captive and discern that. So, whether yes or no, we are to press in and seek not what others say, but what we must do deciding for ourselves, and before you think i 'm saying it 's all you alone and all powerful i 'm not either. You is unto God, absolutely. but what is it uh, that God says about seeking counsel and seeking decisions? Uh, he says, we're to seek a multitude of counsel with our decisions." Check this out. Proverbs 15, without counsel plans go awry, but in the multitude of counselors, they're established. Right, right before that, Proverbs eleven fourteen. where there is no counsel, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Well, let's think about the reality of those statements there. I mean, you can't say, Hey, okay, based on that, I'm going to go. Seek a multitude for counsel to find out the answer. We well, can't because they won't have the answer. This is a multitude; it's a lot of people, differing opinions. They're not going to have a consensus. So think about it. The point then must be: one, first off, you don't make decisions based solely on your own solitary counsel. I would be the chiefest of sinners on that one. I can I can vouch for that. Uh, number two, you don't make decisions based on just one person's counsel or even two or three. It says a multitude. And you can't make decisions, number three, based on a multitude because, again, they're not all going to agree. So what are we left with? Well, you make decisions after taking in a multitude of wisdom, then you're left with all that input to discern and decide for yourself. So in in a sense, it'd be more correct to say, I'm going to seek a multitude for counsel so I can better discern the best answer that I must ultimately understand and choose myself. But, you know, even, even there, I'll put this too. We must be wise with the multitude that we choose. You can't have a multitude of counsel from a group that is all the same mindset. So it's a multitude of, let's say, let's put in there, let's add in there of diverse counsel folks. That's a big deal. And I think it's hard for a lot of people because you feel isolated in what you're doing. You may feel like, gosh, I don't know who to go to. You can pay for counsel, pay from five different coaches, or you will be amazed that if you see people who you respect in given areas, if it's a, you know five business owners, and if you ask them all, hey, can I buy you coffee or can I have a five-minute phone call? I promise I will keep it to that. I just have one question, one perspective I want your feedback on. People are so eager to give their advice, especially those who are sitting atop Uh, so much effort for having achieved where they've gotten to. They know the value of seeking counsel. Now they probably have regrets for not seeking counsel sometimes for, so for somebody to come to them and say, I I literally want your opinion, uh, your feedback, your guidance, your counsel, people are so ready to do that. Well, Hey, just to wrap up here, then the next point that really stuck out to me in Zig's message is that he spent two and a half years failing. So think about this. He's married. I can't remember if he had a kid already or not, but he's married. He's out there doing this job that he from the get-go was told, no, I don't think you're a good fit. And he's doing it and he's not doing well. And that is just not what we expect. It, just, it still doesn't resonate with me because you think of Zig as as we all know him to be and you think, man, he was born for this. You know, I mean, the, the book that he and Tom Rhodes, Born to Win. And he was, obviously. He, that's what he believed. He believed he was born to win, even though he went after something that was, maybe it wasn't initially the best fit. Now, to his credit, what did he finally do? He finally, on that fateful morning, he decided to get up, even though the alarm clock uh, he didn't want to respond to. And he had himself audited. He put himself out here. He allowed input into his life. He showed up so he could get input into his life. And it changed him dramatically. And from that, he then went and finally started honing his craft. That one, folks, is is a convicting one for me because there's a lot of things I've been involved with over my lifetime that I did have some innate talents and skills and abilities. Some of them were learned and they built on top of just some inherent abilities as well. And I did not put in the time to truly hone my craft. So I was always an expert, but not a master. And it's it's convicting to see a guy like Zig who honed and honed and honed and honed his entire life to become a master. And it's convicted me. I, there's something I want to master. I'm going to have to go hone those and not just coast on pretty darn good. You know, why was he not deterred uh, confidence? And he says this, he said, I had the confidence that generally goes with ignorance and figured I could do it. You know, there's not many of you listening, I don't think, that would call yourself ignorant. We, we give a bad rap to that term, but ignorant just means without knowledge. It's just, that's all it means. So there's a lot of things uh, that I am ignorant of because I just don't have that knowledge. I've never done that. I don't, I'm ignorant of walking in high heels. I've never done that. Uh, it doesn't make me bad. It just makes me without knowledge, without that experience. But most of you listening have a great degree of smarts and intellect. You're reasonable. And as such, and I want to, this is a biggie folks, you're more prone to quit too soon. We've got to take that smarts that you've got and be smart enough or ignorant enough to persevere and not take no for an answer. I think that's the biggest thing I got out of this message from Zig is how he just went after something and did not take no for at least the first answer. We need to be wise and we need to be discerning. We need to seek a multitude of counsel. We need to question the no's and the yes's as we look towards making decisions, not be stuck and stymied by our own self, uh, a solitary alone, not to just have a one person that we get input from to seek counsel and discern. That'll give you so much comfort as you finally come to making that decision after you've done your homework in these regards. And again, I'm preaching to myself here. This is an area that I have always struggled with mightily with i'd say i still struggle with it today i just put more effort into it and i'm so much benefiting from doing that well folks thank you for being here with me with allowing me to inspire our true performance together and alongside each other look forward to being with you in the next Ziegler show